Oh, hey, Rebels. It's me, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're listening to a free audio-only recording of my weekly Wednesday night show, aptly called The Gun Show. However you know it, this is the internet, so watch or listen whenever you feel like. That is the beauty, but also the liberty of not being tethered to terrestrial radio or TV. Now, tonight my guest is... Robbie Picard, my friend from Oil Sand Strong, and we are discussing the municipal election, the useless federal election, and why fossil fuels and oil and gas are not at the forefront of this election, but also Justin Trudeau's empty promises to Canada's Indigenous people. He just promised $2 billion for housing and mental health supports. When we are still waiting on his 2015 promise to end boil water advisories on reserves to come to fruition. Now, if you like listening to the show, then I promise you're going to love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long form TV style shows here on Rebel News. Our subscribers get access to my show which I think is pretty great, but you also get access to Ezra's nightly, fully produced Ezra Levant show, David Menzies' fun Friday night show, Rebel Roundup, and Andrew Chapados's show, Andrew Says. Now, it's normally eight bucks a month to subscribe, which is like about a coffee a week. But during the election campaign, you can use the coupon code ELECTION to take a peek behind our paywall until the election campaign is over. And you can see all four of the paywalled shows there for free. You just use the coupon code election when you subscribe. And when the election is over, you can decide if you want to go steady with us. Because you know what? We already like you. Again, that special coupon code is election. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to use your special coupon code there. And now please enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. The Liberals are promising to phase out jobs in Canada's Indigenous communities. Oh, but don't worry because the Liberals are also pitching in 1.4 billion dollars in mental health supports because you probably do need counseling when the government unemploys you. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed and you're watching The Gun Show. election campaign must really be floundering because Justin Trudeau is reaching right into the bottom of his grab bag of empty promises. Here's the headline from Monday, but really, friends, it could be a headline from any liberal election campaign over the past 15 or 16 years. The party unveiled a plan to spend $2 billion over four years on housing on First Nations, Inuit, and Métis communities with more than half flowing in time for the upcoming summer construction season as Liberal leader Justin Trudeau greeted supporters at a campaign rally in Iqaluit. Now further down in the article it reads, the Liberals have also promised an additional $1.4 billion over five years for mental health and wellness strategies to be developed with First Nations, Inuit and Métis Nation. 
This would be on top of previously announced funding of more than $597 million. Now, friends, remember back in 2014, 2015, then prospective Prime Minister Justin Trudeau promised to eliminate boil water advisories that are the result of the often third world conditions that exist shamefully on Canadian Indigenous reserves? Well, if you check... Around 50 boil water advisories are on Indigenous reserves remaining on any given day of the week here in Canada. But those empty promises, they sounded good during the campaign back then, didn't they? So I thought I would have an advocate for Indigenous prosperity on the show today. Not handouts, but prosperity, long-time prosperity. My friend Robbie Picard is Métis himself, and through his work at Oil Sand Strong and his partnerships with Indigenous communities and oil and gas companies, Robbie works to promote resource industry jobs as the way out of the cycle of poverty that so many of Canada's Indigenous people languish in. Robbie's on the show tonight to talk about Justin Trudeau's always empty promises to Indigenous people, while oil and gas isn't really a major issue during this election campaign, and why Robbie himself is getting involved in municipal politics as a campaigner, but not as a candidate. Take a listen. Now from his home in Fort McMurray is my friend, good friend of the show, Robbie Picard from Oil Sands Strong. Robbie, it's been a while since we had you on the show and I regret that deeply, but I wanted to have you on particularly today because you're such a strong advocate for Indigenous people and for job creation for Indigenous people and for Indigenous financial independence through partnerships with the resource industry. And yesterday... Uh, Justin Trudeau announced billions of dollars for Indigenous people for housing and mental health. Two billion dollars. And he says if he's re-elected, he will give supports to First Nations, rural communities, Métis communities, and Inuit communities. And for me, I think this is just so insincere considering Justin Trudeau also promised to end boil water advisories on Canada's First Nations communities, and yet 50 still remain. So I'd, I'd like your feedback on the issue. When it comes to Indigenous issues like boil water, um, proper housing on reserves and stuff, I think the issue needs to be solved from the Indigenous communities, period. And that's from uh, economic opportunities and not uh, not just money that they've thrown at the problem over and over again. Uh, what happens in Fort McMurray um, with our Indigenous communities is that they're, I mean, I just drove through one the other day and they're thriving, right? But that's because they they have businesses and employment directly connected to the energy industry. And I, I mean, I don't want to say that it's a bad idea to help, but I just, I, I, this, this last, uh, God, I don't know how long it's been now, like almost, um, I guess almost eight years of this has just been constant. Um, how long has he been prime minister for? Six years. I know so it feels six, longer. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> six years. Yeah. So six years 
That's a long time because I remember the night that uh, I, I, I remember that election night. So it's, it's kind of weird how the world's been a blur. But there's been so many empty promises from um, Prime Minister Trudeau. I mean, uh, we were supposed to have a balanced uh, budget. We're supposed to have this and that. None of it came true. What I, scares me about elections is that, like, it's really just promise something and don't deliver seems to be the norm in this country. It also seems to be the norm that, you know, uh, narcissistic people um, lead us. And um, I'm, I'm learning a lot about politics, too, because I'm, I'm working on, on a smaller level on, on, a, on the local campaign here. And uh, bottom line is, is that uh, I think that the only way for Indigenous communities and First Nations communities uh, to fix problems is to do it themselves. And the, you can't just throw money at the issue. The, the, the community itself needs to take ownership of this. And the government needs to provide those opportunities, that logistics, that support, and that training to maintain this. So I'm, I mean, I, I guess on one hand, I'm great if he promises this, but I, I don't particularly trust all the promises that he's made because he's made so many false promises over the last little bit here. Well, and that's the thing, like he's making false promises to some of Canada's most vulnerable people when you consider um, just the the rate of poverty on some of Canada's First Nations reserves. And you see the flip side of this. You live in Fort McMurray, where so many uh, First Nations communities are wealthy. They're business focused. They're wealth creators. They're job creators, not just for Indigenous people, but for everybody. Um, because they're partnerships with oil and gas. And yet this is the same prime minister who says he's going to help Indigenous people while simultaneously phasing out oil and gas, which is uh, when you couple that with mining, the single largest employer of Indigenous people in the country. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that that's where the oil and gas is. <laughs> it's it's out there outside of the big cities where the reserves are in in rural Canada. I think that we have a real problem coming down the pipe, so to speak, or not coming down a pipe, depending which way you look at it, um, with this whole nonsense of this just transition. Um, there is such a pressure to damage Canada's oil and gas industry. And words matter when the prime minister says stuff like, you know, we'll phase it out, we'll do this. And there's these so-called green energy jobs that are going to be popping up everywhere, which we all deep down inside know what, what what's happening. I think that the communities that will be affected by it the most are the Indigenous communities. And right now, there's such a push for the Indigenous communities to get in oil and gas and get natural gas and pipelines and stuff. And that's taken many years, but it's starting to come uh, come around, especially in BC. I mean, BC, here it's a little bit different. Our Indigenous communities here have been doing oil and gas for quite a while. So some of them are incredibly wealthy. And I mean, incredibly wealthy. Mm -hmm. And in BC, it's a little bit different because their Indigenous communities have been shafted for so long, so they've never really had an opportunity to recently, and Fort McMurray is an example and a beacon for the rest of the country on how to do economic reconciliation. And um, so I think that there is no such thing as green energy, and I, I actually was reading an article last night about what happens to the batteries of these uh, electric cars when they finally break down, and I argue that we're headed for catastrophe. How do I say catastrophe? Catastrophe. We're headed for catastrophe. We're headed for catastrophe if um, if we go down this route and we don't have a plan to deal with these the recycling of these uh, lithium ion batteries. 
So I, I think the world needs to pause. And honestly, I don't think oil and gas is that bad. And I'm proud that, uh, you know, that I have a, a gas powered car that I, and I bought a bus recently that runs on propane and gas. And I'm taking that to Ottawa fairly soon. I don't have the exact date yet, um, but I'm going to be going to Ottawa and I'm going to be doing a documentary along the road, stopping in all different cities, talking about how um, oil and gas has changed the lives of Canadians. And honestly, like, if you look at plastic in the ocean, a good chunk of that comes from Haiti. And that's because they don't have the infrastructure, the fossil fuel network to handle their garbage. So they just pour it into the, into the rivers and that takes it into the, into the ocean. And fossil fuels have made this world so much better, particularly in North America. And we have not done a proper, uh, a proper marketing campaign to celebrate that and protect it. We have nothing to be ashamed of, but somehow, some way, we have told ourselves that what we're doing is bad. And I would argue that the future could be worse if we don't actually stop them from ripping apart perfectly good infrastructure, ripping apart perfectly good, um, a good system that has benefited us all for so long. So I, I think that this virtual signaling and this social justice stuff just needs to end. There's not been anything better for indigenous communities than oil and gas that is the only thing that has been proven to work to improve the lives of their people lift them up from object poverty take them up a level and this messing with it and all this stuff that has been done by these so-called environmentalists has put us in this horrible position so um i'm not going to accept this notion that somehow some way some government bureaucrat or government you know a person from any any level of government is going to tell me that I need to give up my way of life for something better that doesn't exist. And I'm very worried about the future. I mean, look what's happening in Afghanistan right now. I mean, all both Canadian government, all the presidents, I mean, look what they just did. They just handed back a country to um, uh, uh, the Taliban who basically will rape, murder uh, children and uh, women and do all kinds of things. I mean, if I would, I'd hate to have a daughter in Afghanistan mm -hmm. right now that was 12 years old because that's the end of their lives. And our governments, with this wonderful North America, we just handed it back after basically, you know, screwing them with them for 20 years. It's just a sad state of affairs. And I think that Canada, if we could just build our own country, get our energy to market, so we're rivaling Saudi Arabia because we are the third largest proven oil resource in the world. Never mind the rest of it, natural gas, uranium, everything else, the precious earth minerals that we have for solar and wind and all that. We have it all here. Uh, and we have just allowed the rest of the world to determine where we sell it, how we build pipelines, etc. And that allows countries in the Middle East to reign heavy over weaker countries like Afghanistan. And we could actually do more for the world if we were in a stronger position. Our competitors around the world are, you know, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, some of the uh, Iran, like some of the worst places to be a human being and be alive in 2021. And yet we're landlocked because uh, because environmentalists tell us the fate of humanity hinges on it. But for me, humanity means you know, living with human rights where little girls can go to school and not get shot in the head where women can wear whatever they want, even if I don't like it. Um, it's it's very funny to hear 
environmentalists from downtown Vancouver and downtown Toronto tell us um, what what uh, human rights mean when they really aren't affected by any of this firsthand. I mean, they would they would care if they lost their iPhone, if they went to plug in their iPhone to charge and nothing came out of the wall because there was no electricity or when they went to get on their diesel bus to go to their job at the coffee shop, there was no diesel bus to come pick them up. But um, for them, it's not, it, it, for people in indigenous communities and around the world, these are jobs. These, like these are the the way out of a circle of poverty. And you know, when we are competing against countries like Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Iran, um, it's about human rights. It's about human dignity. And you know, it's interesting to see people who claim to be advocates for peace and justice not care about any of that. I spent a, a little bit of time in uh, some big cities recently and just watching and, and observing how people are. And I would argue that the people in the big cities are far more dependent on fossil fuels than the people in sure. the smaller cities. They just don't realize it. Yeah. Right. They think when they're eating their, you know, their avocado toast and they take the packaging and they put it in the recycled area. They don't understand the whole power that goes to firing that entire infrastructure that is the city. And so there's a disconnect. Like they, they might plant like a little urban garden, but that's not going to feed more than 20 people. They don't understand the true value of what happens with farms and where food comes from, where meat comes from and all that. And there's just such a disconnect. And I don't know how to fight it. I mean, we've been, um, I, I try in my small ways to step up and stand up for, um, you know, for the oil and gas industry, but they're the disconnect of the, I call them the, the educated, uneducated. These are people that are highly university educated that have still live in their parents' basement and don't have real world practical skills. And um, we're in a interesting spot, but the truth of the matter is that like, every day we get up and no matter what side I, I have a pretty good life you know what I mean my you know I, I I have a nice yard my biggest complaint now is the sod that I laid is not taking and I'm pissed off because I paid too much money for it and you know I'm gonna have to put it down meanwhile in other countries in the world and even even the rich oil countries the people are yeah. so suppressed that they don't have rights and I would argue that our energy industry has given us these rights it's allowed people the choices and i would handle this i would not do a just transition i'm not saying that i'm against solar energy or wind energy they all have their place i mean they use solar up here in a few places like that and they it's not always the end of the world when it comes to mixing the two energies like i was at a lodge that has solar on the roof and then they've got a, a diesel generator backup and and a battery backup and the two complement each other this war that we have against our fossil fuel industry is ridiculous. But if you go and you mine all of this metal and, and to make these batteries and they don't have a contingency plan for the real toxic tailings ponds, which are far worse than these tailings ponds here, and everything that comes from the consequence of that mining, you know, 20 years from now, you're going to be hearing ban solar power, ban this. Like, we have a pretty good thing right now, the way we're doing it, and all we need to do is build on it and improve it. Like, I mean, if we get this um, carbon capture uh, that they're talking about here in Alberta, um, you know, we'll be ahead of them. And I would argue right now that there has not been enough research done on the carbon footprint of making batteries and solar panels and windmills because there's a great carbon footprint in processing those. 
Um, and um, I don't know. Yeah, we have it pretty good with what we have right now. And I think that we we it's a lot it's just been such a long fight and you, and you burn out because you've been fighting this fight for quite a while because like, you're fighting saudi arabia and the americans they don't care i mean the americans built enough pipelines to go around the earth twice when we're just trying to get keystone i mean we're going to get one pipeline built you know we're not we still have to ship oil through the panama canal to go to the other end of our own country i mean at least we're doing that now i mean that is a step in the right direction but i mean we have the greatest resource in the world at our fingertips sitting here that we need to develop in a sustainable, responsible way. And for some reason, we've allowed these uh, so-called environmentalist organizations to tell us our story, and we shouldn't have done that. So I guess that sort of answers my next question, but I'll get you to expand on it. Why did you buy a propane-powered bus, and why do you have this plan to take it across the country and make a documentary? Because I'm not a white supremacist. <laughs> um, the reason is, is that um, after uh, the Carlton Liberal uh, Association uh, labeled my organization, I, I was angry at first, but more just sort of sad because um, these so-called, um, I don't even know what to call them, I would say that they are recession-proof out-of-touch yuppies in Ottawa labeled an organization that actually that I you know own and I funded and I started and that is all about inclusivity and bringing a united message so I figured um because um I found this bus online and of course like you know it's practical to buy a 1977 bus that's 43 years old and take it across the country but I thought you know what a great way if I take my time and I stop in every little town along the way and I sell T-shirts and give out buttons and stickers and then I connect to people that hopefully some good of that, you know, what they that horrible thing they called us comes out of it. And we can show them through the videos that you can't just sit across the country and call down in the most important region in the country that they benefit from without some sort of consequence. And so I've. I sat on that for a while. In hindsight, I probably should have went for it um, when they did that. Um, but I, I, I think that this bus is really cool. It's going to be fun. I think I'll bring my dogs, and, and it'll be a little bit of a road trip. And um, my my plan is to try to shed a light on the human factor of what the people people in Ottawa make these decisions that affect people across the country that they never meet, see, or touch. And that's wrong. I think that the the fact that we are the second largest country in the world, um, that there's places. I mean, I still haven't been to Newfoundland. I've I've only I've never been to certain areas, and it's hard because um, you know we're so vast. But the truth of the matter is, is that those people are a world away. I and you kind of wonder sometimes, like, uh, how can they make these decisions that affect us? So I'm hoping in my small way that I can bring attention to that issue. And I mean, it's just cool to take a propane powered bus on the highway. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome, right? Um, yeah. I had to drive Edmonton and it's a five speed, low and high. And oh my God, it was so terrifying. I was up a hill in rush hour trying to hold the clutch and not roll back. And the thing was trying to stall. So I am cheating a little bit. I am putting an automatic transmission in it before I go because uh, I just like it's the, the novelty of a, of a five speed low and high wears off in about an hour. It's fun for a few minutes. Like, yeah, cool, I can drive a standard. But trying to figure out what gear and low when you hit a hill and it 
clugs. So it's, yeah. but it's, it's amazing. It's like, and it runs on propane and, it, and actually, it, so I'll tell you how affordable it was. So it's a giant bus and it only cost me $110 to come from Edmonton to Fort McMurray, which is less than my pickup truck right now. Oh, that's less than my Jeep right now. <laughs> yeah. like that's really so affordable. And yeah. propane is clean burning and a clean burning fossil fuel. A hundred percent. It's very, yeah, it's amazing. And it, and then you can flip a switch and it runs on gas. If you get a situation where you need to have a little bit more power, but yeah, so I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, that's cool. Now I want to touch on something that uh, you're involved in and normally you don't get involved in politics. You sort of stay out of it, but yes. because Fort McMurray is your hometown and you love Fort McMurray. You're a little bit involved in the local mayoral campaign. You're not running for mayor, which is a bit of a disappointment for me. Um, but tell us what's going on up there. Um, so I've decided to get involved, and I'm, I'm actually helping a few candidates that are running for council. And yes, I'm, I'm working on the mayor's campaign. Um, and I, I'll tell you why. I'm going to be really, really candid here on why. Um, our city has been very divided for a long time. You have sort of this left and this, uh, it's very liberal, like it's a very mm -hmm. liberal city and then you've got these people kind of thing. And then to be honest with you, um, two friends of mine, um, one, um, she typically would help, um, you know, she's kind of a more of a, I, I go to advice for her all the time, but she's a little bit more liberal thinking than me, but we all kind of, we all like, we're all kind of like, we all kind of have the same philosophy. I don't care what you do in your life. Um, I want to be fiscally conservative. I want to spend money properly, protect the, protect the, protect the vulnerable, but give everyone a chance to make their own way. And then honestly, I'll, I'll say it. Um, Brian Jean, he uh, talked to me a little bit and these two are so polar opposite, but they agreed on one candidate, Sandy Bowman. And I thought, you know what? We need some unity in Fort McMurray. Second of all, I'll be candid. I'm sick of the way they blow money here. They, they piss away millions of dollars all the time on decisions. For instance, we had a place called Jubilee Square. The estimates are either 20 million to 40 million, whatever it costs. I don't know. I know that there was a $2 million weather catcher built that was taken down a few years later. And our racetrack here actually, you know, doesn't have any money and it actually attracts people. So um, we have recreation centers that are worth $50 million that only one or two people go a day to. And we don't just build one of them, we build two of them because we can't learn from our first mistake. We destroyed our downtown and expropriated and put anything there. And it's been going on for quite a while and I, am, can't watch our community die the death of a thousand cuts. I've seen what happens to communities when I've had to make adjustments when they lose coal. And we're mm -hmm. way ahead of that. We're very blessed to be one of the richest municipalities in the country. But the community needs to speak for the people. And I think a lot of times people come to Fort McMurray, they have no real interest in being here for a long period of time. They come here for maybe five or six years and they leave a legacy. And then, they, uh, and then we have to pay for that legacy forever. We have a football. We have multiple football fields we don't use. Conklin, I love the town of Conklin, and I'll, I'll say it. Um, I, I support Conklin, and that fifty, sixty million dollars, every cent should have gone to Conklin, but not in a giant arena that for a town of three hundred people that sits empty. It is ridiculous, wow. and they don't even have 
they don't barely have running water, which I which I think that because they're kind of like little acreages, you probably could do cisterns and wells, but yes. this town should still service that. They could have taken that $15 million, gave Karen's gas station a million dollars for a grocery store. They could have went to the local hotel and said, look, we'll put a pool on this hotel for you. Let the kids use it and, and you have your guests use it. They could have done a lot more. But no, they took $15 million and they blew it, put it on a giant arena that no one goes to. And the town doesn't even have a football team and they've got like a two, three million dollar football field. So yes, I'm sick and tired of the waste in our community. And I have used my massive platform to push this place for industry for a long time. And I've always stayed out of local politics, but I'm sorry, these decisions are so stupid and they keep happening over and over again. So yeah, I'm gonna to try to get some common sense people in there that will actually have business sense because this philosophy of building things we don't need. Um, we were about to build a $17 million art gallery here. Thank God the premier put a stop to it. And we have an empty building where the brick used to be. So here's common sense. I'm not against the arts. You know, I'm a gay gay guy with 200 or 2,000 Avon bottles. Like, don't I'm not judging nobody on anything because I'm like centric, very centric. That being said, you could take the brick building, throw a couple million there, now you have your art gallery. But why is it that the racetrack people who actually love their passion as well have a beat up old track that they can barely afford bleachers for? The wealth in this community needs to be distributed far more evenly than it's ever been. And that is why I've decided to back a few candidates this time and, and, you know, like use my whatever I can to help. Because the point is, is that we need to have some like common sense change in our region. And also we need to start defending ourselves. I'm so sick and tired of like me being the only one that ever talks in defense of oil and gas in this community. Like we also have to understand in Fort McMurray that there's a bigger world out there. I mean, I just was in Banff. I had a great visit. I, I talked to a lot of, I felt very inspired. I, I sat down and I heard Rex Murphy's same speech that I've heard like 200 times, but I actually, this time I felt connected to it because like, I don't know what is wrong with us, but we, we, it's almost like we are apologetic of being successful here. I am no, I'm not going to hide it. I love burning fossil fuels. I'm proud that I can burn fossil fuels in a free country. I'm proud that I can, I can have the freedom of buying a giant old bus and take it across the country. And everyone else here should have a little bit more, I don't know, I, I guess respect for themselves and respect for the industry that has given us this great life. So yeah, I typically don't speak about local stuff and I, I try to stay out of the fray here because I mean, it can be quite vicious, but at the same time, I'm sorry, no. Um, and the amount, the hundreds and millions of dollars that have been pissed away in our region, it's embarrassing. So last thing, Robbie. How do people support the work that you do? Because you're largely self-funded. I mean, this documentary project in your beautiful propane bus, that's all self-funded. Um, so how do people support you and keep you going and keep that fire in your belly? It's real simple. Um, there's two ways, okay? You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter now. We're going to charge five bucks a month for something that I'm going to write. Um, and please subscribe so it's ongoing. That helps, you know. And two, buy a ton of t-shirts. Uh, we don't have shortages in t-shirts anymore. I know a few people order shirts and it only took them like eight months to get, but we eventually got them to them. That's all been fixed. 
Uh, we fixed our posters too. We sold a ton of shirts, um, and thank you when Pierre Polyev wore the shirt in Ottawa. The problem was is that our postage was so screwed up because we weren't used to selling that many shirts, so we didn't have the proper charge for postage. So we actually kind of had a wash on that because sometimes a shirt that was 15 bucks to ship. We fixed that. We're charging a little bit more for postage now, um, but we're making money on the shirts. And uh, yeah, I fund it. So any way you can support um, uh, my uh, Robbie Card Media, which is my marketing company, funds it. So um, you know, sponsor our videos or whatever. Uh, that would be great. Um, I've got my series for Mercury One Thousand that I'm still looking for some sponsorship for. I'm basically going to be running two things: the Fort Mercury One Thousand series and Oil Sun Strong. I'm stepping up on Oil Sun Strong. There's going to be daily videos, all kinds of stuff. Um, we're going to take it up a whole level. Um, but you know, like I listen the other day, I got burnt recently. I'm not going to say who burnt me, but I felt very burnt. I had a, an idea that I pitched stolen by, uh, by a government agency. And I'm, I was very, uh, very hurt by this. And I realized something at that moment, um, that I, I was kind of proud of, you know, I'm one guy, you know, I've got four employees in my small business, but I'm one guy. And I have my moments where I'm up and down on this cause, but I have skin in the game. I have a ton of skin in the game. I always have. And this is what I will say. I'll say it to the to the energy center and all these organizations. Um, put your own skin in the game. If you're one of these people that are doing this type of cause, put yourself in an uncomfortable position. Use your own money for something, not just the money that you get from your wage and step up. One of the things that I'm very sad about, and, I, and, I, and I'll, I'll say it because I'm in a mood, um, we had a good thing going. I didn't always agree. I was not treated fairly by Canada Action. Anyone knows that. I wasn't. I was shafted huge, majorly shafted. Um, and the reason people know about the I Love All Sons movement is because of me and the work we did up here and, and a couple other people that, that I worked with here. It wasn't just me, but we had a big hand in it. But one thing I will say is for a little brief period of time there, Rise for Resources, Canada Action, a couple other organizations, we had these rallies across the country. And when we had that, I was so proud of that moment. My favorite moment actually, be, I'm not sure if it was Halifax or Vancouver, because that was pretty awesome when that puppet attacked me from the stage. But the <laughs> truth is, is that my ultimate favorite moment was probably Vancouver. We were only less than 500 people at our rally. And Greenpeace, I mean, they either had five or 10,000, but they had a big rally. Rival rallies. We stood our ground, we did our speech, and the news that day was so pro-energy in Vancouver that we actually canceled out their little, like, you know, their little uh, crybaby fest that they had. And we had, uh, we all worked together and we moved the, we moved it forward. Now, my personal brand, Old Sandstrong, I, I, I didn't have the buttons and the stickers and the signs and Canada Action had all that covered. But so what happened was, is that Rally for Resources, Canada Action, myself, we kind of fell apart and we were onto something good. We, we had that stupid rival convoy. And in hindsight, mm -hmm. that convoy, like we actually had the first convoy, but they got the jump and then theirs. And we should have just stopped and let them have their convoy and regrouped and gone back to our roots, which were rallies. And yeah. we didn't. And we kind of fell apart. And and that's, but but here's the thing. These other organizations that are hard to compete with when they're like, when you're going and you're saying, hey, listen, you know, I've got this idea. Can you fund us or whatever? Well, you know, the government is doing this. Well, the government sucks at advocacy. They've sucked at Thank advocacy you. the entire time. They That's don't how know. we got here. That's how we got here. Exactly. And groups like ours that actually move the needle. 
I mean, I had Rachel Notley in an I Love Oil Sands hoodie. Okay, that's nonpartisan. I have been nonpartisan this whole time. I have worked with all parties. The only times I've gone after them is like crazy Elizabeth May or, you know, the BMW driving NDP leader because, you know, because he's so fuel efficient and is a dual exhaust BMW. But my point of the matter is, is that we've done that. So respect the grassroots. Don't get watered down with three million organizations that are. And I'm an ad agency, but I'll be honest, like I'm also an activist. So they kind of tie in. But we need to get back to that and respect the people that have skin in the game because we're the ones that actually made this happen. And, 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 and now going forward a little bit as I'm about to dive back into this, I will be taking care of the business and way more. But it's hard when you're in the field, when you're squaring off with a multi-million dollar celebrity in a parking lot when it's minus 40 on your cell phone that's about to have a dead battery, tracking her down on your own with your own money and putting your own, your own risk. And that's the thing, like, it's like, I'm just, I I guess I'm just kind of angry because where we are now, we don't need to be there if we respect the people who got us there. Robbie, that's a great spot to leave this interview. Um, I have to move on to my very next thing today. I know you do too. You're a very business, very busy business owner and advocate for uh, families like mine. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and we'll talk again very, very soon. Thank you for having me. If you got all your news from the mainstream media, you would think that Indigenous people are some sort of monolithic, uniform voting block that the Liberals own every single election season. But I think the tide is turning this time around, and we saw it firsthand, as reported by our chief videographer, Mocha, when he captured a scene not reported in the mainstream media and even called fake news by the mainstream media Indigenous people protested and blocked Justin Trudeau's campaign bus for over a half an hour, something the mainstream media didn't think was newsworthy enough to report on. Indigenous people are not any different than the rest of us. Our votes cannot be bought and sold. They must be earned. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. 